welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, with Pastor John King. Morning, everybody. Uh, today, uh, we will be near the end of the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. <laughs> This particular part of Ephesians so far uh, has been, we've been talking about the, some of the closest relationships you could ever possibly have, a marriage relationship, uh, family relationship, parents and children, and then we have this subject of slaves and masters. And you go, well, we don't have slaves and we don't have masters today. And, and we, we do that, we say that, we're sort of thankful that that's not the, the case in most places around the world. So as we go through this particular study, it's going to be important for us to really understand the, um, the necessity of biblical and historical context. You know, we often say when we teach the Bible that the historical context is super important, and it is each and every time, but I would say specifically in this particular message, we need to keep the historical and, his, and uh, the context of what the world was like with Paul and then be able to kind of, okay, understand that but then bring it to our modern day. The simple way to say it is slaves and slavery is, uh, is pretty much been uh, eradicated in most of the Western civilization but it still exists in the world in many places. And so... The message to Paul, from Paul to the slaves and the masters would be the same today, but he'd be speaking to employees and employers. And so that's something we want to keep in the back of our mind as we go through today's passage. Another thing you might want to ask a question, you say, well, why would you consider that a family relationship? You know, slaves and masters, employers, employees. And the reason is, is because in... Greco-Roman times, slaves were often considered like house servants, if you will, and they were part of the family. They lived under the same roof. Now, in our modern society, we don't see that so much. And so he's, he's talking about these family relationships. But the main reason why Paul is speaking so much through this section of Ephesians about these relationships is that we, you and I, can apply the principles of submission, submitting to one another in the fear of God, as it says in chapter 5, verse 21. And so to be able to do that, we may be able to say, well, I get that, I understand that, I understand that respect and kindness and obedience is required and, and is, is necessary, and I see that it is good, but I can't always do it. And of course, that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to guide us and control us. Now, last week we mentioned the German word Hostafel, which was given by Martin Luther. And that means house table. You know, this is kind of where things happen. The kitchen table, if you will. The household, the closest, the people that know us the best. And every believer who participates in these family relationships has a seat at that table. And also a responsibility to go along with it. Now, understand, historically speaking, that in Paul's day, slavery was a very dominant feature in the culture. 
Historians estimate that there were upwards of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That could be anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of the entire population. But unlike the kind of slavery that you and I are familiar with, either recent or historical, the last three or four centuries, the slavery in the Roman era was not targeted to specific racial or ethnic backgrounds. In fact, anybody could be a slave, even a Roman citizen. In some cases, slaves could own land. And sometimes people put themselves in a servant role. They put themselves in this servanthood, slavish role, if you will, to pay off debts, to earn a little extra money, if you will. Sometimes it was used as a punishment for crimes. One historian wrote this. He says, speaking of slavery in Paul's day, he says, while they were certainly not free, slaves in the ancient world should be regarded more as a social class than as victims of racism, injustice, or exploitation. Now, of course, slavery uh, in some cases could have been very uh, extremely cruel. There's plenty of documented uh, evidence of that. But really the question is, and you may conf be confronted with this question, is when we study uh, Paul's writings about bond servants or bond servants and masters, Somebody might ask you a question. They might say, well, why doesn't Paul and why didn't Jesus outwardly condemn slavery the way we do today? And that's a good question. And we need to understand this is where the historical context is so important for us because we live in a racially charged society right now, worse than it's been in a long, long time. And... You know, the answer is many. There's lots of answers. But for one, in Paul's day, there were actually positive reforms taking, being taken place. Uh, and in many cases, it was even tolerable. Now, I said, it's not always, I'm not an, an advocate of slavery. Please don't misunderstand me. But at that time, slavery wasn't generally considered to be evil by either the slaves or the masters. And keep in mind that if the Christian church, the early Christian church, had begun to try and abolish slavery, it would have ended in a whole bunch of bloodshed. There would have been an economic disaster for both owners and slaves. So our understanding of the historical context is important because, you know, if nothing else, to be able to deal with your witness in society today. And the place that you go with this understanding is the gospel. And the gospel is what changes everything. So understanding all that, first we need to know that the effect of the gospel has had historically and continues to have to this day. The gospel actually undermines the idea of slavery. And it gradually removed legal slavery in the Roman Empire. It emphasizes things like the equality of people in the sight of God, the things we learn from the Bible, the fellowship of a common brotherhood within the church, because after all, Paul was coming to this Ephesian church where there were slaves and masters in the same church. The bottom line in all of this is that you need to have a good understanding. I need to have a good understanding of what Paul was writing in. And if he was, as I said earlier, if he was standing before us today, he would have the same instructions to employees and employers as he did with the slaves and masters. So let's read our passage, verse 5 through 9. 
He says, he writes, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Heavenly Father, we again come to you. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you've given us clarity. I hope, uh, I hope I haven't confused anybody so far today, but Lord, I just ask that you would go before us now as we continue in our service, as we continue to read your word and study the words that were written to us, knowing that they have the effect of the gospel, they can change our lives. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful that your word is powerful and it cuts into the deepest parts of our bodies and to the deepest thoughts of our minds and hearts and minds. And so, Lord, just go before us, Father. Go before us as we read these words. May it be helpful to us as we learn to live in harmony with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we start out in verses 5 through 8 with a spirit-filled mandate. A spirit-filled mandate to bond service. Now last week we talked about spirit-filled children, spirit-filled parents. All Christians, whether you're a slave or an uh, you know, employee or an employer, whatever you do for work, you have a re responsibility as a Christian to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, you say that all the time. You're saying that a lot more recently. Well, it, this section of the Bible does really focus on that. And some people might complain and say, well, you talk too much about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper and our guide. And I don't know about you, but I need him. And I believe you do too. And so he says in verse 5, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Now the word bond servant is doulos, which means a slave or a bondman. But it, as I said earlier, it's like a domestic servant. And like we said, slaves were often considered members of the household in the Greco-Roman society. He says, bond servants, be obedient. Now that hupakuo is the same as we talked about last week with children and parents. And why do I bring that up? Because the week before we talked about wives submitting to their husbands. And we used a different word, Greek word, hupatasso. And that's totally voluntary. But hupakuo is not voluntary, okay? Children have the, uh, the calling and, and the duty to obey their parents just as employees have the duty and responsibility to obey their employers. So that means to listen under. When you listen, it's not like coming in one ear and going out the other. You're listening for instructions on how to do your job so that you can go do your job and not having to come back and say, what did he say? What did you want me to do? What exactly is it you want? Now, we're here to listen under in this case. And of course, he says, be obedient to your masters. This is one who has control of a person in a household. Literally, they're in charge. According to the flesh. Now, why is he saying that? Your masters according to the flesh. Well, because he's reminding those Christians and he's reminding us that you have, you're a citizen of heaven, okay? And your heavenly master is the one who you serve. 
And so he has to make a distinction between earthly masters and heavenly masters. So he's speaking to Christians. Why is Paul stressing obedience? Because even a Christian does not remove the responsibility. When you become a Christian, it doesn't automatically take away your responsibility to others. Even though you may be a bondservant. And so he tells them uh, all these things and then he says, here's how you obey them. With fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. With fear and trembling. Describing how to be obedient. And you say, well, am I supposed to be standing in front of my boss, shaking in my boots? No. Think about what he's saying. Another way to say it is with deep respect and fear. And where does that fear come in? Well, remember, you're a child of God. You're a Christian. You're on the job. That's where everybody sees you. You know, they don't watch you. We're going to see. They don't watch you while you're here in church. They watch you while you're out in the world. And, you know, your fear is the fact that you don't want to bring shame to your Lord Jesus. That's why you want to do a good job. That's why you're obedience. And that's what you're, you're afraid. You want, to, you want to make sure that you don't bring disrespect to your boss. By, or being slack or irresponsible in your job requirements. Now, if you talk to most employers today, it's hard. It is, first of all, hard to get anybody to just show up to work. Let alone behave and be obedient and, and bring, uh, you know, a, a good work ethic to the workplace. It's getting more and more difficult. First Peter 1.17, it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here on earth in fear. You don't want to let your Lord down. You're not afraid of your boss. You're afraid of the shame and the, and the, the disrepute that it could bring to the Lord Jesus, who you claim to be a child of, a, a brother with Jesus, a child of the, the Father. So with fear and trembling, we're to be obedient, in sincerity of heart. In sincerity of heart. This is talking about having kind of a, you know, a one-track mind, if you will. You're focused on the work that you're called to do. You're not scattering all about. Your mind is not divided or clouded with all the ulterior motives. You're not constantly on your phone, texting, at work, or checking the social media. You came there to do a job, and you want to do it without any pretense. So you do it with sincerity of heart. You're committed to being a genuine asset to the organization that you're a part of. And you don't care who gets the credit. Why? Because you're doing it, notice, as to Christ. Here's where the change lies. Your singleness of heart happens because you are focused on Jesus. You know, your life in Christ is like a, it's like a race. It's like a path, a winding path that goes up and down and all around the corners in life. And who are you looking at the whole time? Who are you supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be focused on? The Lord Jesus, sitting on the throne, interceding for us, understanding our situation, understanding our sin and our pain and our suffering. So we do it with obedience, with sincerity of heart, and do it as to the Lord. Hughes wrote this. He said, A well-traveled parable tells of three workmen building a cathedral cathedral who were questioned by a visitor as to what they were doing. The first answered, I'm chipping stones. The second answered, I'm earning wages. And the third answered, 
I am building a great cathedral. And that last answer, that last response is the attitude that you and I should seek to have. To bring glory to the Lord through our work. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now look, the temptation, and, and, and you know, I, I was in the workplace, I'm still in the workplace, it's a different line of work, but I was, you know, in the workplace as most of you were, not full-time ministry is what I'm trying to say. And the temptation for you and I to lose respect for our boss is a big concern. Because after a while, you get to know one another better, sometimes a lot better. You know, you've heard the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And that can come into play. Maybe you start to think you can do a better job than your boss. And pretty soon, disrespect starts to come about. You know, you have that, that water cooler sarcasm that happens. Or the cutting humor in the office or on the production floor. Well, if you're a Christian, you need to watch out for that temptation. Paul wrote to Timothy about this. He said in 1 Timothy 6.1, he said, Let as many bondservants are as under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Again, the people out there are watching you. They're watching you and I and how we live. If you have a Christian boss, it can get even worse. You can have other problems. As one writer said, the temptation toward disrespect could easily be intensified by their spiritual equality as brothers. In some situation, this was inflamed because the slave in church was actually the teacher to his master. You know, that's how society works. You may have, you know, I don't know how the situation here, your boss may attend the same church you attend. But you may be teaching Sunday school class for whatever reason, or you may be teaching that person, or you may have a position in the church to serve them. But again, Paul's instruction to Timothy was very important. He said in 1 Timothy 6.2, and those who have believing masters, see the Bible covers these things, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. Interesting. You say we're supposed to love one another, but sometimes on the job it can get a little different. But rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things is what Timothy was instructed to do by Paul. Now, military service, I, I, you know, some of, uh, some of you here are vets, and I served in the military. Uh, if you served in the military, or if you served in a police organization, or, a, you know, a, a, I'd say a, a highly disciplined type organization, it can be very helpful to understand this principle. Uh, look, I've, I've served under, I will say, very few, very few less than pleasant seniors senior officers, senior enlisted in my career. Most of the time, the people I worked for were fantastic people. But I remember a time when I was a young uh, petty officer and I was complaining about what the commander, our engineering officer, expected of us and the, the level of work that he expected of us. And I, along with many, didn't have a lot of respect for him. And I was reminded by my uh, watch captain, senior enlisted, He'd say this. He'd say, well, you know what, John? Uh, you can complain all you want, but what the good commander wants is what the good commander gets. 
And so that was something that stuck with me, obviously, all these years. We're also to serve conscientiously and thoroughly. Look at verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're only working and looking good when the boss is around. In fact, you're so, you're so hung up on getting by on your job that you'll study your boss's habits to a T. To know when that boss is going to be around and when he's not. He or she. And so you become... A man pleaser. You're one that wants to give eye service. Studying to please men. I was reminded of a funny illustration studying this. When you go, next time you're, you're, uh, you got your grandkids or your kids in a PE class, and they're all in front of the gym instructor, and they're having to do push-ups. And while that gym instructor's standing over them, they're doing the push-ups, right? What happens when he looks the other way? They're stopped. A lot of them just, they kind of go on hold, right? And that's sort of how what we're talking about here. If you're on the job and you just, you know, you're studying so intently so that you can get away with whatever you can uh, at work so that the, bo the boss won't catch you. He says that's wrong. And the probably, problem with that is that you're guilty of seeking favor that you don't deserve. It robs labor of its dignity and it brings ill repute to the name of Christ. And so when a man or a woman returns home from uh, their day's work, only one question really should be asked. Have I pleased the Lord today? Have I pleased him and not been a man pleaser on the job? Have I done the work that God has called me to do and have I done it with integrity? Have I served my boss and he says here in a solution, he says, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Again, you're asking, you are a Christian now. You have a new heart that the Lord has given you. The Holy Spirit resides within you. And so everything has changed. And you have a solution to the flesh that wants to do the wrong thing. And in this case, uh, as a servant, as, a, as an employee. Bondservants of Christ, as though you were serving Jesus, doing the will of God. You're not only seeking the will of God, as we've talked about. One of our biggest responsibilities is to be circumspect, seek the will of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we want to start to do the will of God. Remember, this section of Ephesians is all about walking with one another in harmony in our relationships. And you do it from the heart. You're not just putting, you know, uh, a routine, not just going through the motions, but you have some interest and you have some energy at work. What does Jesus think of that? I mean, he's the one we're here to please. Look at Matthew 25, 23, and 26. I'm not going to read the whole passage. It starts in 23 where Jesus welcomes, it's the parable of the wicked and the, and the good servant. Jesus welcomes the good servant to heaven and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But then notice the one who is the wicked servant. He says, then he received the one talent and came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping and, and where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. This is the, the lazy servant. And Jesus says it this way. He says, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. 
You knew what I what that I reap and what I have not sown, and you gather where I have not scattered seed. What does Jesus think of laziness? Well, you have it right there. He considers that to be wicked. We're also to serve with a pleasant attitude. Verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Again, repeating that whole thing is who you're serving, who you're doing this for. To have goodwill is to have kindness as to the Lord and not to men. Again, this is where our focus should lie. You should ask yourself that question, where does my focus lie, especially when I'm dealing with unreasonable people. And he says we're to do it with a pleasant attitude. Verse 7, goodwill and as the Lord not to men. And verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now this primarily, this is to Christians. So when you say anyone, we know that anyone apart from Christ does not receive any reward whatsoever. But we also know from our Bibles that if you are a Christian, you can theoretically, end up in heaven with no rewards. You can end up with no rewards because you, you, know, you have your salvation, but you never did anything to further the kingdom. You never did anything to serve the Lord. And so you can end up with, without that. And so the, this judgment seat of Christ, really what we're talking about, uh, Paul says, here's where we need to aim. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. This is where our, you know, our focus, again, keeping our eyes on Christ as we walk through the world, as we serve him. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so, you know, a bad uh, reception would be not receiving a reward. It's like being at a, a tournament or, you know, we have first, second, and third, and people get their, their medals and their crowns, if you will. Well, not everybody that competes in the games gets a reward. But notice the basis of reward is not based on social status as a Christian. So if, if I or you were to examine what it's like to work with you, you know, sometimes we need to look in the mirror, right? And think about what it's like to work with you. What would your attitude be like? Are you a pleasant to be around? Are you upbeat or are you always negative about everything? You know, we let this world of ours creep into us. We let the information come in. And it gives us a sour and a negative attitude that we tend to, you know, let people know about. What's it like to ride in a car with you at the wheel? <laughs> do you always, it's a chore, do you always complain about other drivers? You may have heard this one. A little boy innocently said to his mother, Mommy, why do all the idiots come out when daddy drives? <laughs> What's it like for you to be at the wheel? Or do you seek to be found faithful? Matthew 25 and 23, as we said. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So as a worker, as an employee, most people are. Um, God has a word for you. We've just gone over that. Now, what about masters? What about the boss man? What about the supervisor? Well, here he is. He's not going to let them go. He has a spirit-filled mandate to them as well. 
verse 9. He says, and you masters do the same things. Step one for a Christian employer, manager, or boss. Treat your employees in the same way you expect them to treat you, with respect. He says, next, give up threatening. Now, in the Roman days, in Paul's day, again, a Roman master could put a slave to death. They were a possession and they could actually kill them if they were rebellious. And so he says, give up threatening. You know, you've, got, you've come to the Lord now. You're a boss, but now you're a Christian first. Paul instructs the Christian master to look for better ways to encourage performance. <laughs> he says, give up threatening. What's your management style if you're a boss here? Are you always trying to control your employees with unwarranted threats? You hang things over their head? Or are you willing to invest the time in developing a person into a good worker? You know, it takes time to work with people. It takes time to develop those who God has put you in charge of. And he says, give up threatening, knowing that your own master is in, also in heaven. See, we all have a boss. We all have somebody who's above us. And a Christian boss knows that he has a heavenly master who he will give an account to. Colossians 4.1, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And notice he says, he ends with, and there is no partiality with him. A Christian employer has a heavenly master who provides the perfect example to follow. Jesus shows no favorites, and he's willing to work with everyone who calls upon his name. Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 21. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and to the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice and doing nothing with partiality. So our final thoughts for today. Three things if you're taking notes. First of all, relationships matter. Secondly, respect matters. And third, kindness matters. Relationships matter. Why? Well, because, you know, that's, that's the part of our life. That's the part of our lives that can take up some of the most time in our lives. Our marriages, our children, those that we work with or work for. And you know what, folks? We need to commit that to the Lord. Our families, not only our families and our job, but our hobbies. Because if we are Jesus's, then all of those things are his as well. And so we need to commit that to the Lord, whatever it is we do. And so let's examine them in the sight of God. Respect matters. Whether you're a spouse, a child, or an employee, God has given you the opportunity to glorify Him through your willingness to be respectful and obedient to those you serve as to the Lord. And finally, kindness matters because parents and employers, we're to use our influence and our authority not to control and manipulate one another, but to empower people, to nurture them, to guide them. And never forget, as we've been saying all along, Chuck Swindoll wrote this, never forget, the world doesn't watch our behavior at church on Sundays or in Bible studies on the weeknights. They watch us at home, they see us at work, they notice how we treat our parents, and they pay attention to how we raise our children. 
They notice when we labor at our occupations with integrity and they appreciate the qualities of a thoughtful, fair, and generous boss. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we just ask that you would go before us now, Lord. Uh, we've almost finished this great letter to the Ephesians. And next week, Lord, you know that we're going to cap it off with a great struggle. The thing we know as spiritual warfare. And so, Lord, I want to pray in advance for the ministries and the families and the households who are here today. Because as we learn about the tricks and the wiles and the deceptions of the devil, there will be spiritual warfare in all of our lives to varying degrees. And Lord, I pray in advance that we will remember that we're to put on the whole armor of God. And yes, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to expose the enemy for his lies. And we're going to learn, Lord, about the great deception that goes on in our own minds and in our own hearts. Yes. And so, Lord, we ask for your protection to be upon us. We thank you, Lord, that you have it and that you do protect us and that you see us and you see us through danger. You see us through struggles. You see, you see us through so many things that oftentimes we can only catch our breath as we look back and see the wonderful work that you've done in our lives. And may we always be gracious and thankful for the things you've done. And as a response to your great love for us, let it flow through our lives to one another. Help us, Lord, to take away that selfishness. <coughs> Help us, Lord, to surrender our worries and our concerns unto you, the things that distract us. Lord, let us confess our sins before you. If we're viewing porn or if we're abusing substances, Lord, or if we're just being neglectful and hurtful to our spouses or to our children or to our bosses or to our employees, Lord, speak to our hearts. Convict our hearts of the sin that may well be there. And we know that you're faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins if we come before you. But Lord, we want to be molded and shaped by you. We want to be your instruments. We want to bring honor to your name. And so Lord, we humbly sit before you. We thank you, Lord, that you will receive a tender and contrite heart today and each day. So go before us, Lord. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.